One of the ways that the enemy can work in your life uh, is to dim your light. And I'm sure that we could all stand up and say, you know what? I know that that's what the enemy tries to do in my life. He tries to dim my light so that I can have no influence on the lost. And it seems like the light in American churches seems to be growing dimmer and dimmer. But in reality, what needs to happen is that our light needs to grow brighter and brighter. And I believe that the enemy's plan is to get us as Christians so distracted that we're not shining as brightly as we should. Because unfortunately what happens is that we we hear a great message this morning. It stirs our souls. We make a commitment. We say, God, I want to share you with other people. But what do we do as soon as we get up off of our knees and, and, and walk towards that exit sign? You know, in essence, what we do is we take that bushel and we kind of put it over us so we don't shine anymore. And we go out among lost people and we live really dim and we don't have much salt. We don't have much of an impact in the lives of people around us. And then we come back the next Sunday and we get lit up again and that, and that just repeats. And I think the enemy is doing a great job in the church of keeping the Christians at bay. And he's doing an awesome job at it. So tonight what I like to do, I want to talk to you about how your light matters. Your light matters in a dark and dismal world. There are multitudes of people that this church can help rescue, but this will not happen if we get sidetracked and let our light be dimmed. So the encouragement for us tonight is to understand that your light really matters, and we have to keep that light bright. So the very first thing that we're going to notice here in verses 1 and 2, I want you to Keep this in mind. Don't lose heart. Don't lose heart. Let's read verses 1 and 2. Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we faint not, but have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. So there are a couple of thoughts that I have why we shouldn't lose heart. The first thing that we see why we shouldn't lose heart, is because we have an important ministry. We have an important ministry. Now, if you know anything about Bible study, at the beginning of a chapter when you see therefore, there's a reason why it's there. And we can't just jump over it. But in essence, what you need to do is go backwards into chapter 3 to figure out what Paul is putting this word for. And in chapter 3, he talks about how much better and superior the new covenant is compared to the old covenant because this new covenant gives life the old covenant did not give life if the old covenant was glorious how much more glorious is this new covenant the old was temporary and had an end but the new covenant is permanent and under the new covenant when someone comes to christ in essence what happens is that veil over their heart is it's opened up so that they can understand truth. But even today, when Jews read the Old Testament, if they don't have Christ, that veil is still over. And they're not understanding that the Messiah has come. He's fulfilled the Old Testament. But that is what is in chapter 3. But God has put us into this important ministry under this new covenant. Listen to what it says in 2 Corinthians 3, 6. 
It says, who also hath made us able ministers of the New Testament, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter killeth, but the Spirit giveth life. And then in verse 17, now the Lord is that Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. So those of you that are saved, you've accepted Christ as your Savior, you have, you've been set free. You are no longer enslaved to sin. And God has changed you and given you new life. So that is the type of ministry that we have as Christians. That is what God has called us to do, to be those same bearers of that good news of Jesus Christ, to share that with other people. We cannot lose heart because we have an important ministry. The second reason that we can't lose heart is because we have received mercy. It is God's mercy that he came and died for us and died for you, and he has given you life. God had mercy on us. Another way you can look at that is he had compassion on us. He had pity, not because of anything that we did, but God just showed his mercy upon us. I love what it says in Matthew chapter 9. To me, this really shows me how Christ saw the lost. But in Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 and 36, listen to what happened. And Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. So Jesus was, he was busy. He was at work. He was healing. Anybody that he touched, he was able to heal in preaching the kingdom. But in the midst of all this busyness, look at what he says in verse 36. In verse 36, it says, but when he saw the multitudes... But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them. He had pity on them. Why? Because they fainted and they were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. So it's like this. He looked down and he looked at the people. And of course, hey, Christ can, he looks into people's lives. He knows exactly what they're going through. He knows that the Pharisees put forth in that day were supposed to be spiritual leaders. They weren't concerned about the people. They weren't concerned about teaching them. They were concerned about piling on to them more and more and more of these traditions. Did they help the people? No. If anything, it just weighed them down. And so Christ came at the perfect time because he looked and he he was compassionate on these people. He knew that his time was almost come, that he was going to go to the cross and finally pay the penalty for all the sin of mankind. But Jesus had compassion on them. And if Jesus had compassion on people, what should be our response to people? It should be compassion. But so many times, and I've heard Christians say stuff like this, that I can't stand the lost. They're just wicked. They get in my family. They mess things up. They lead my kids astray. Keep them out of my life. Yeah, it's true. When you get around the lost, you get a little dirty. Your family can get a little bit torn a little bit because there's, there's there's that draw. But we need to have compassion. Hey, they don't, they don't know the God of this book. You and I do. We know that they need the Savior. 
Man, we need to have compassion on the lost. That's how Jesus saw you and me in our sinful condition, and he had compassion. He had so much compassion that he was willing to go to the cross and suffer a cruel death and die, but finally be resurrected and give us victory. But that is how Jesus Christ sees us. And because of his mercy, we shouldn't faint, we shouldn't lose courage, we shouldn't fail in heart. But since we've received this great mercy, we should not forget about the ministry that God has called them or called us to. But instead, we need to extend ourselves, extend in ministry and minister to people. Because once we realize the, com- the compassion that he had on us, man, our response is to want to take action. To take action and extend the love of Christ to other people. But we cannot lose heart. We cannot give up on the ministry that God has called them to. Now, Paul is talking to a people during this time when it was difficult. The Corinthians missed Paul. They desperately wanted him to come, but Paul was busy doing other things. And no doubt that in, in 1 Corinthians, the church was in chaos. Things are getting a little bit better, but hey, they, they needed Paul to come and help them out and get them through some things. And in your life, it's no different. Life can get just chaotic. It can get busy. You can get rejected because of the message that you have. But guys, we can't give up. We've been given too much by our Lord to give up on the ministry that God has called us to do. The next thing that we, that we see here in these verses is that we have his truth to live. And we see this in verse 2. So instead of cowering and giving up, we live for God out in the open. And when we look at these verses, we've renounced the hidden things of, of dishonesty. We've removed ourselves from that private sin, that shame and that disgrace that we were involved in. I like what it says in, um, in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, uh, regarding sin. It says, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight in the sin which, which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience. The race that is set before us. So what Paul's going to do now, is he's going to walk us through some things and, and show us, hey, this is not how I was in the ministry. And this is how you ought not to be also. But he says he's renounced the hidden things of dishonesty. He also says that we're not walking in craftiness. Craftiness is trickery. They did not try to deceive people. They were honest in their communication with people about the truth. They did not tickle some ears. Hey, I understand you and I are not perfect. It's, it's difficult to be perfect. We will never be perfect in our walk with the Lord. We're, there are times that we step into sin. It, it happens. We live in this flesh. But our desire is we want to walk in a way that is pleasing to him. And you know what's neat? When you look at the Apostle Paul, man, he, he's an open guy. I, we, we know that Paul struggled. But man, what Paul is doing is, is he's laying out truth. He's trying to help us as Christians with our walk. And what he's doing here is he's helping us to see, man, we've got this important ministry, but hey, these sins right here, man, we need to even get rid of these things. And finally, he says that basically what he's saying is that your, your walk and your talk need to match. Why? 
because of the manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. Hey, people are watching us. People are watching us and how we act and what we need to do when we look into our Savior's face. And how do we do that? When we look into God's Word and we start reading God's Word, we need to be willing to change. You need to be willing to change. I need to be willing to change. Because we need to have a walk so as not to be a stumbling block or a tripping hazard for those that are lost. Because I don't know about you, but the lost are always looking for a reason not to accept the truth, right? They don't want to accept this because they want to live, live their own life. And guys, we need to live a life that doesn't cause them to stumble. So that when they look at our lives, they don't look at us and say, man, you're a, you're a hypocrite. What we want them to see our lives and what we want them to say is, you know what? Hey, you, you struggle a little bit. I, I can see a struggle, but I know that you're sincere and I know that you have a God that forgives you and I know that you have a God that you stand for. And that's what our life needs to look like. But unfortunately, there's so much that, that the church has done to hurt the cause of Christ that we don't have enough spirit-filled men and women acting on the king's behalf. So let me ask you a question. Have you looked into the king's eyes lately? Have you looked at him and asked him to show you, God, is there anything in my life that's not pure? Is there anything in my life that's being a hindrance to other people? But we need to act like his eye is always upon us and preach truth. That's what we need to do. We need to preach truth. But guys, don't give up. The ministry is too important. It's too important to give up on it. And and we've been shown God's mercy. And we can't give up on what God has called us to do, which is live the truth out in the open. Let's move on to verses 3 and 4. But if our gospel be hid, it's hid to them that are lost in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. So the second thing that we see tonight is Satan is hard at work trying to stop the light. Satan is hard at work trying to stop the light. That word hid means to be covered up. It means to be covered up. So we are living a life that's pure so that our message is is not obscured and it does not cover up the truth. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 verse 5, listen to what Paul says. Paul says, for our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance, as you know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. Now Paul had a great testimony and he was obedient to the Lord in his life. And then in 1 Timothy 1.11, it says, According to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. So the gospel was his responsibility, and his outward walk was a testimony to that. And man, you, you, you read through some of the things that the Apostle Paul went through. Some of the abuse and some of the, the suffering that he suffered. Did Paul turn his back on the Lord? No. 
he just kept right on going. I mean, me in, in the flesh, if you just smack me down really hard and it really hurts, hey, I'm going to think twice about what did I just say in my, own, in my own strength. But I know in God's strength, we can do more. But the Apostle Paul took so much because he understood his responsibility. So our walk matches our talk so as not to give the lost any reason not to be attracted to the light. And Paul is assuming a pure walk and reminding us that it is not us that are, that are the problem. The lost are making a decision and that there is one that is fighting the truth. Now people willfully stay blind to the truth. But there is nothing we can do to change people. There is nothing we can do other than preach the gospel. We had a young man this morning during the youth group that um, his question was this. How, I've got lost friends. How can I make them get saved? Man, I, I wish there was something we could do to force people to get saved. That would be amazing. But that's not how our God operates. And I shared with this, with this young, young man, I said, Mel, there's nothing you can do. The only thing you can do is preach God's word. And like the Apostle Paul, live a life that is pure. I said, the best testimony that you can have is to read your Bible, live a life that reflects the Bible, and share God's truth and pray for Him. That's all you can do. And He may or may not ever come to Christ, but that is not on you. That is God and only what God can do. So who is the one that is fighting and blinding? Well, the answer is there in verse 4. In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not. So what is Satan doing? How is he doing all this work? Well, I'm glad you asked. Because in John chapter 10, 10, it says, The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. That's what the enemy is doing. And he's, I think he's doing a pretty good job of it. When you look at our nation, how many true Christians are here in America? Not many. What about in Thailand? Hardly any at all. I think the enemy is doing a great job. And in Matthew 4, 8 through 10, listen to what it says. Again, the devil taketh him up into an exceeding high mountain. And this is Jesus that he's talking about. And showeth him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them. And saith unto him, All these things I will give thee, if thou wilt fall down and worship me. And then in verse 10, Jesus says, For it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. He says, Get thee behind me, Satan. So Jesus says, No, I'm not going to fall for that. But I think there in verse 9, this pretty much sums up the only thing Satan has to dangle in front of people. Hey, just fall down and worship me. Fall down and worship me, and I'm going to give you everything. All he has to do is offer something the flesh wants and longs for, and there's not much else that he needs to do. Now, I know this morning, Pastor Tony talked about 
all these different religions and worshiping the rocks and pictures and images. And I think of um, the Apostle Paul when he went to Mars Hill and, uh, and he had that statue uh, set up to the unknown God. That They worshiped something to an unknown God. They wanted to make sure they had everything covered. But there are so many religious systems out there. Satan's just having a heyday with all these different philosophies and these different beliefs. And even within Christendom, you've got groups teaching. You got to do something. There's something that you have to do to get saved. You need to get baptized. And, and down in Honduras, this is a reality. You have to be baptized. You got to crawl on your hands and knees a certain distance up to some church. Satan's just having a heyday with this stuff. Human beings love being their own God. Do you realize that before you were saved, each one of us had this little crown on? And when we walked around, we, we called the shots. Just doing whatever we wanted, going wherever we wanted, doing whatever we thought seemed right or good. And then what happens when we come to Christ? Here's what should happen. When we come to Christ, we take off that crown because we understand we're not worthy. We didn't do anything on that cross. And we take off that crown and we say, Jesus, this is yours. You deserve this crown. Not, not me. But the world struggles with that. Why? It's all about me. I don't want to do it. I don't want to do what God wants me to do. He's not down here. I want to do what I want to do. I only, I only live a short life. I want to make all the money I can make. I want to go all the places I can go. I want to party as much as I can. And I don't want somebody to tell me what to do. That's, the, that's what's being indoctrinated into people today. And he wants people to come to the conclusion that they do not understand the gospel. I don't understand. That's too easy. There's got to be something else. I'm not going to serve a God that would do this and do that. I don't understand that. And they stop with that. That's it. They don't take it any further. So what happens? Well, when they die, it's, de- it's death. That's it. No second chances. Satan's doing a great job. He's doing an awesome job. I mean, look at our chaos here. Hey, if you were unsaved and you went through that mess, that's so representative of your life. It's hard to see through all that stuff. And I, and I think of those guys rescuing those people up, up, up on those roofs. That's, Satan's doing a great job helping people stay lost And those that are under his power, they are the children of their father, which is the devil. His goal is to convince them long enough to deny the truth. And then when they take their final final breath, his goal is achieved, death. And in this is condemnation. Not because God prevented them from seeing, but because they would not respond to any of the light that they saw. The gospel. It's being attacked 
by the enemy. But here's the good news. We have good news to all this. Satan is only so powerful. Satan is not all powerful. He is in the battle with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. The end of that verse says, Lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. Now the reason that he blinds is to keep people from seeing the light. And he will do whatever necessary to keep the lost from the light. And it is a spiritual battle. But, only, but Satan only has limited power, and it's only during this age. But here's the awesome news. Satan has met his match in Jesus. Ultimately, Satan will not overcome Jesus. Jesus already won. Listen to what it says in John 16, Praise God. In 16.33, it says, These things have I spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. In the world you, have, you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. And then in 1 Corinthians 15.55, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. He has met his match. He cannot overcome, even though when you look out there, it seems like we've lost. We have not lost. Satan knows that his power is limited, and the result is, is that God's light shines unto men. Bob Woods, he is a, a, a um, writer for a periodical called pulpit digest says this he tells the story of a couple who took their son 11 year old son and and, um, seven year old daughter to carlsbad caverns in new mexico as always when the tour reached the deepest point in the cavern the guide turned off all the lights to dramatize how completely dark and silent it is below the earth's surface The little girl, suddenly enveloped in utter darkness, was frightened and began to cry. Immediately was heard the voice of her brother. Don't cry. Somebody here knows how to turn on the lights. In a real sense, this is the message of the gospel. Light is available, even when darkness seems overwhelming. Now that's awesome knowing that God can turn on that light just like that. And that, my friend, is Satan's worst nightmare. When a lost soul comes to Christ and they're redeemed, they have a new home, they have new hope, their life is changed, and they can go out and impact other lives. But he's in the battle with Jesus. And we know that he has already won. And and Jesus already has the victory. But Satan is still at work. And we have work to do. And let's finish up with verses 5 and 6. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face 
of Jesus Christ. So the last thing that we see is that the true light makes the difference. The true light makes the difference. We notice in this verse that we do not preach ourselves. And I think this is so key. It's so key that we understand that it's not about us and it's not about what we can do. It's about Jesus Christ. And since this is a spiritual battle, Jesus and his word are the only ones that we can use. And he is the only one that can bring victory. But we shouldn't preach ourselves. The next thing that we see is we are servants to Christ and his message. So if we have tasted of God's mercy, we've seen what he has done in our lives. So the conclusion is that because of what God has done in Paul's life is that Paul calls him Lord. And when he's calling him Lord, he's referring to his God as being supreme. That would be kind of like us going to a king and bowing down in front of the king and saying, I met your beck and call. Whatever you want me to do, I will do it. And Paul also says that he is a servant or a slave. He is in subjection to the king. Now, I know in our times that this is a little bit foreign, uh, but in that day, hey, it, slavery was, it was, it was there and it, and it was common. But in that day, Paul is saying, I'm like a slave to my owner. Willingly, I will do whatever he wants me to do. And we know what Paul went through in his life, but he was still willingly to do it voluntarily. No one had to force Paul to follow his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I think that's awesome that Paul was willing to do that. And you know what? That ought to be us as well. We ought to be willing to do that in our lives, to follow our Lord Jesus Christ. But the message is Christ. We are servants to Jesus Christ. Listen to what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 1 through 5. And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ in him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear, and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So Paul doesn't speak of his own wisdom. He doesn't just share a thought and say, hey, here's, here's what I think. The highest thing that he could know is Christ. His message was Christ and him crucified. And finally, their faith was in God and not in man's wisdom. You see, Paul couldn't have relied on on his thoughts or his opinions. Because when the going got tough, and it did for, for Paul... The only thing he could stand on was that firm foundation 
the Bible, the promises, Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And then sharing with whoever what Christ did for him. In Acts chapter 9, what he pulled him out of. And I like what happens after Paul was on the ground and and Jesus looks at him and says, hey, it's me you're persecuting. And I like what Paul says. He says, what wilt thou have me do? What wilt thou have me to do, Lord? And in my life, that ought to be my response every day. God, what do you want me to do? What do you need me to do with my life for you? You see, me and my family, we are in mission conferences and and mission meetings every meeting. (laughs) Every time we're in a church, for us, it's missions. And it's not a joke for us. This This is real. And what God wants us to do, it's, it's real. And this morning as I was at our table, I was watching people just kind of go, go by and, and, and just, you know, they're doing their things and whatever they had to do in the afternoon. And I was thinking to myself just as people were walking by, what's their walk like? Have they really been transformed by Jesus Christ and his word? Are they willing, willing to go wherever God wants them to do? Are they willing to fill out that faith promise card in faith? I know for years I filled it out, not necessarily in faith, but based on where I was from a money standpoint. And guys, I'll be honest with you. I'm, I'm still not where God wants me to be, spiritually speaking. Yeah, we're going to be missionaries. That's awesome. But I like what Paul said. For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. That ought to be our desire, to know Christ intimately and know what he went through and what it meant And when we think about the cross, as it says in Romans chapter 1, in um, Romans chapter 1, it talks about how we need to be a living sacrifice. And because of what Christ did in his mercy, our reasonable service for him, our reasonable worship, should be obedience, complete obedience. So as, as I was walking, watching people walk by, I thought, God, I pray that this conference, I pray that when they come to this place, that they get encouraged and that when they leave here, their light is bright. And when they leave here, they're not just putting their Bible, and I see this all the time, but just not putting their Bible on the back of their car, up by their speakers, or they're just not throwing it on their dash. Or they're not throwing it on their nightstand or on their TV stand until next Sunday when that's part of their Sunday dress is to come with their Bible. And I thought, God, I hope that's not them. And I, and I said, God, help that not to be me either. 
help me to be sensitive to you and your moving so that I can be and so that I am obedient in your strength. The message that Paul had was rooted more deeply than a command. It was anchored in world evangelization and an outflow of his life rather than an imposition. That, that stabs me. I don't know about you, but that just stabs me. Because I know sometimes in my walk with the Lord, I do things out of guilt. Like, oh, I should do this. But it shouldn't be like, it should just be an outflow of, 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 of my relationship with Christ. And for Paul, man, you, you read this. You read his epistles and you read about his heart. You know, if you continue reading through 2 Corinthians, one of the, one of the themes of this book was that he's trying to, to present a case for his apostleship. Present a case for his walk with God. Present a case that I'm not a thief, not coming to take your money. That's not why I'm in the ministry. A matter of fact, when you get to the end of, of this book, and I hope I can find this verse real quick in, um, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, I'm going to try to find it real quick. Oh yeah, in, in verse 15 it says, And I will very gladly spend and be spent for you, though the more abundantly I love you, the less I be loved. Wow. Paul, that's, <laughs> that's theology. You get it. You get what Jesus Christ did on the cross for you. And you get the plan. He understands the, the, the commission to go. But when you read through, he's not reminding you always, oh, we need to go, we need to make disciples. Paul just did it. And it flowed out of his love for his Savior. That was the way that he worshipped his God, was to tell other people about the Messiah. The message became his life and his passion. And this ought to be our passion as well. And we ought to do everything we, we can to give this message. Listen to what Charles Spurgeon said. If sinners be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our dead bodies. And if they perish, let them perish with our arms wrapped around their knees, imploring them to stay. If hell must be filled, let it be filled, with, filled in the teeth of our exertions. And let not one go unwarned and unprayed for. That's quite a statement. If you know anything about Charles Spurgeon's ministry, he was an amazing preacher, but at the same time, he was an amazing soul winner. His church reached thousands for Christ. And that ought to be our attitude. That ought to be my attitude. If I can have that much zeal and compassion for the lost, like that statement, you you wouldn't have enough chairs in this auditorium for people to sit. They would be out there in the hallways. You'd be setting up speakers in the parking lot for people to hear the preaching of the Word of God. But that should be our passion. Finally, in verse 6, 
The author of the light gives light that changes lives. So notice, notice what he does. Paul goes back to Genesis chapter 1. It's interesting, we were down in, at, at, at the ark this past week. Everything begins in Genesis. Everything begins in Genesis. And Paul goes back to this. Hey, if God can call out light from darkness, God can bring truth and light to the heart of even the most vile person on earth. Hey, remember we talked about earlier, it's not about us. We don't preach about us. We preach Jesus Christ, the Lord, the King, and what He has done. And if God is that powerful to bring light, it's an easy thing for a lost person to come to Christ when you look at that. Because that is amazing to me. But the lost are hopeless, groping in the dark, looking for the light. And I'm so grateful in that in John 8, 12, that Jesus says that he is the light of the world. And he that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of light. Now, you and I were once living in darkness. We had the veil over our hearts. But God came into the picture. God came into the picture and made the difference. God shined in your heart. God stirred that up. God took, God took his hand and put it upon you. And you responded to the gospel. And your life was changed because God is light and help you to see the truth. Kind of reminds me of that song, Amazing Grace. How that I was once lost, but now found, was blind, but now I see. But it was, it was all about grace. God's grace that saved men and women. I'm going to end with this verse. Matthew chapter 5, verses 15 and 16. It says, Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick. And it giveth light unto all that are in the house. And I said earlier that it seems as though some people, when they walk out, they just put that bushel over them. Their light doesn't shine. There might be some that maybe get out of the cracks, but it's very, very dim. But here's what we need to do in verse 16. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Brothers and sisters, our job is to be the light. Our job is to shine forth so brightly that when they see us, and they see how we act, and they see how we walk, that they look at us and they say, that, that person is different. And the reason we're different 
is because we as God's children, as born-again Christians, we reflect the light of Jesus Christ. We are a reflection of God's glory to the lost. So guys, I know life can get difficult. I know we can get beat up. I know that it seems at times that Satan is winning. But we can't lose heart. Because there is a lost world out there that needs the light of the gospel. There is a lost world living in chaos, trying to make sense of of what's going on around them. But guys, the cross makes the difference. And you and I need to hide behind that cross and live a life that they can see and be attracted to that light.